0: were places where pagans came to worship because those were doors between the underworld and the real world. And, uh, and there was all kinds of spiritual interaction that was happening there, uh, all kinds of worship of idols and all of that. But it was in that space and in that location, going way back in our story to the beginning of Lent, and here's a slide just pulled out of our uh, Lent sermon, uh, probably week two. Uh, Jesus is hanging out with Peter there, and they're uh, visiting that place. They're checking it out. It's this pagan context. And uh, Peter and Jesus are talking, and Jesus says to Peter, he says, who do you think I am? Like, who do you think, who do you think I really am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. This moment of revelation where it all comes together for Peter with who he's actually talking to. He's talking to Jesus. And Jesus responds like this, he says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And what he's saying there is, he's saying that, uh, you know, you're just a little guy, Peter. He's using the word Petros, which is a word for pebble. You are Petros, and that's Peter's name, Pebble. I think rock seems like a much, much cooler name. Like he's not like the rock, like Dwayne Johnson, the rock. He's like pebble, like Fred and Flintstone and little baby pebbles. That's who Jesus is saying uh, Peter is. So you are pebble, and on this rock, this massive, incredibly important idea that I am the Messiah and the Son of the living God, on this, on this understanding that I am God himself, that is the rock on which I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my church on that rock. And so we fast forward. Uh, now, that's sort of the beginning of Peter's journey as a church builder. We fast forward later into his life, like further on. And we read 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 5. And this is an excerpt from a letter that Peter wrote. Um, years and years and years after Jesus had already uh, been crucified, resurrected, ascended, long ahead into the future of the life of the church. He's writing this to people in Asia, and he says this. He says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And almost 50 years later, Peter is still talking about what it's like being a living stone built on the rock of Jesus. That had an incredible impact on him. And so a metaphor that Peter uses for the growth and the building of the church is, is masonry. It's taking this thing and building it. And, uh, and what he's actually talking about is he's talking about the church, the community of God's people, being a replacement for the religious system that was in place in its time. Something alive and living was going to replace the old temple system right? That's a, that's um, essentially a, a scale model of the temple uh, that would have been actually there in the time of Jesus, that the disciples would have gone into the temple courts and, and walked through there, and people would have offered sacrifices. That's where Jesus uh, turned over the tables and, and, uh, and took the, uh, the money changers and, and kicked them out of there, uh, out of that place. Uh, and Jesus, what, he's, what Peter's saying there is, you know, you guys are living stones. You guys are like the real rocks that the new temple is going to be made out of. You're a holy priesthood. right? You're something new. You're something special. If you go back to that text, just unpack it a teeny tiny bit, which I wasn't planning on doing, chasing rabbit right now, a spiritual house, right? That's temple in that time and space. That's what a spiritual house is. It's a temple, right? So you are the temple. You are the new place where the glory of God dwells. Where does the glory of God dwell? It dwells in the church, It dwells in the church. It doesn't any longer dwell inside a building made by man. It dwells inside a church, which is a community of believers, which is you. You are a holy priesthood. Priesthood priesthood speaks about uh, somebody who is a connector between another person, right? People connect to Jesus through you. People need Jesus in you. You are priests, and you're offering spiritual sacrifices. Your lives poured out for God. Not religious sacrifices, but sacrifices of intimacy and love and relationship. So that's what's being built in the place of this temple that we know is going to be torn down. This is a picture of the west wall of the temple, uh, as we understand it. Uh, Just this massive stones that are put together. And what you are, as a church, as a people, is a living expression, a living model of that place where the presence and glory of God dwells. A place where relationship with God happens. Now, um, how does that work? How did that work for real in the life of the early church? Remember, we looked at the beginning of the story. We looked at Peter uh, being in that place, Caesarea Philippi, all their journey towards the cross all of their time being taught by Jesus, all of their arguments about who's going to be the greatest, all of his parables helping explain how leadership works, his, his speaking about the Holy Spirit coming, all of that stuff that Jesus unpacked for them, the moment he died on the cross, they had to begin to figure that out for themselves, right? They begin to figure that out for themselves. So let's look. Why does this work? Why do these living stones need to get built together? Why does this church OVV need to exist? Why does Calvary Pentecostal need to exist? Why does the Free Methodist Church in town need to exist? Why does Vineyard Ottawa need to exist? Why are all these living stones uh, something that we're built a part of, something that we value, something that we gather to and we come to? And we're just going to see as we see the unfolding of the story of the church in the earliest days, what it was for them to meet and to be together. So let's just look at Luke chapter 23, verse 48 uh, to 49. And this is back the story of the cross. You'll see the image on the screen. That's us at our Good Friday uh, service out on the farm. The text says this. It says, When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, this is Jesus hanging on the cross, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood together at a distance watching these things. So people had come, they'd come to gather uh, to witness Jesus' resurrection. And those who were there to just witness it and and hang out for the show, they were like, awesome, we're out. We're outy, it's done. But those who knew him stayed around and gathered. Those who knew him and those women who followed him stood together at a distance watching these things all they knew to do was to be together all they knew in that moment was gather was be there be together Looking ahead to Luke chapter 24, uh, 33, 34. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found 11 and those with them assembled together. This is a story of the guys coming back uh, that Jesus had met on the road to Emmaus. Do you know that story where after Jesus had died, uh, everybody was sort of getting scattered. People were wandering. Uh, people were wondering what to do. Uh, there were a couple of disciples who had begun to walk off to a place called Emmaus. Like, hey, let's go home. Jesus is dead. Uh, this messiah thing is, uh, uh, is uh, must we must have been wrong about who he is because he 's gone now, and when your uh, messiah dies you, you you pack it up and go home or find a new one and uh, and they they were full of grief, and it says that they were pondering. As they went along the road, like struggling to figure out the meaning of these things. They were pondering deeply. They were experiencing uh, this grief. And as they went along the road to Emmaus, uh, Jesus came and met them on the road and revealed himself to them. And what did Jesus do with them? Like, they sat down, they ate, they had conversation. Jesus revealed the scriptures to them. And then at the very end of that story on the road to Emmaus, it says this, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together. Jesus turned them around and sent them back into community. Right? He turned them around. And so many of us, that's our story. There's so many people that we love that are, are full of grief, that are, are maybe frustrated with the church, that are out in the community, that are lost, uh, that are broken, that things didn't work out for them. Uh, they don't know where they fit. And, and, and our prayer for them is that they would meet Jesus on whatever road they're on and that he would call them back to the church, be it our church or another church. Or somewhere else that Jesus arrests them and calls them back into community there's something about this thing of a gathered community that's so important and and we know what that's like ourselves uh, to have moments of like man do I want to do this thing like do I even want to get up Sunday morning and go to church actually I don't really feel that very much because I love it I love church every Sunday to be honest I don't actually struggle with that but I know that lots of people do like oh man like. I just want to stay in bed like really like could i just watch the masters i pvr'd it and uh saturday morning sunday morning i could just watch it and then i could watch the thing sunday afternoon and that would be great i could have a full day of lying on the couch watching golf in my underpants like that would be a pretty sweet deal right (laughs) too much information yeah right like like why did you come here this morning? And, and, and we wonder why those that we love, that we love deeply and that we've worshipped with in the past, sometimes aren't here worshipping with us. All of you have family members, uh, people that you grew up with that are siblings, uh, people that you've loved, and, and you went to church with them in Sunday school as a little kid, and they've, they've gone away and they're not going to church anymore. We know what that grief is like, right? Some of you have spouses that are in that place, Jesus wants to meet them on whatever road they're going and call them back into community. That's a real deal for us. That's a real deal. Now remember, when they came back to that place and found those guys all gathered in, in the upper room, they're telling them the story of Jesus. and They're trying to explain, well, oh, that's amazing. He's still alive. And that's the point. We talked about this last week. Jesus beamed into the room. Like, I think it was like a Star Trek thing. Like, whoo- like the music and the sound and like the bright lights and the materializing in the room. And you remember that story from last week? Like, like, dudes, it's a, it's a, is this a ghost? Like what's going on? And Jesus says to them, you know, guys, you can't believe in ghosts. They're not, re-. he doesn't even say that. He says, well, feel me. I, I don't feel like a ghost feels like a ghost doesn't feel like that. I'm like, what, Jesus? Like, come on. What are you talking about? You like, did, did Jesus believe in ghosts? Like, he didn't say there was no such thing as ghosts. Jesus said, like, well, feel me, I'm not a ghost. Like, what? You're crazy, Jesus. But he says that. So he beamed into the room, beamed into this locked room, and he says this, he says, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. But together stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. So there they are up in this room. They've had this conversation with Jesus. He's revealed himself to them. They've been talking to him. They realize he's real. They're celebrating. This is awesome. Jesus, you're amazing. And what does he tell them to do? Well, just hang out together. Like, wait for the Holy Spirit to come. Like, go to the waiting room. Like, dude, that's so boring. Who likes the waiting room? I hate the waiting room i will like if I know that i 'm running at a doctor 's and they 're consistently late, I will calculate that into the time that I arrive. Is that wrong i think that's I think that 's wrong I know my where's where 's Kathleen Kathleen would shake her finger at me yeah right but like dude like like Nobody likes to be in the waiting room, but, but they knew, they didn't know what they were doing, they didn't know what they were supposed to be doing there, but like, okay, we'll just go, we'll hang out where Jesus was, we'll, we'll uh, hang out with each other, that's all we know, Jesus taught us how to be together, so let's just be together. So they hung out in the waiting room, and it goes on, and it goes on and on, all these encounters. Uh, Luke uh, chapter, sorry, it's not 2348, that's uh, going ahead to Luke uh, 24. Then they worshiped him and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. This is immediately after the ascension. And this is just one painting of the ascension of Jesus Christ. Did you know that paintings of the ascension of Jesus Christ are the weirdest paintings that there are in the history of Christian art? Just a side deal there. Like, He's a white guy, for starters. He's kind of blonde, blue eyed. I know Jesus wouldn't wear pink. I also know that. You know, I'm a hundred percent sure Jesus wouldn't wear pink. I don't know. I'm not hundred percent sure how that all works together. But, but like, what is this? Like, I'm pretty sure the ascension of Jesus Christ was way cooler than that. Like, guaranteed, it had to be way cooler than that. But that's what happened. They, they were there and Jesus ascended. Uh, he gave the Great Commission. He was taken up into heaven. And what did they do? Luke 24 Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. But get it? Like Jesus went up and they busted out the guitar. And began to worship him. That was the first ever worship service of Jesus' worship without him physically present. An instant after he's ascended into heaven like well he 's not physically here, but already they knew that he was someone who ought to be worshiped. The reason I have this picture of our of our youth there is because there was just an amazing amazing moment at the uh, at the retreat uh, this this weekend i 'm going to dish and tell a story on your kids, and they don 't even understand what happened but I understand what happened. I got to see it. So there's some free time after lunch, and we're up at the retreat, and uh, there's a little group of a couple kids in the corner. Uh, one of them's playing guitar. It's Christian. Another one's playing the djembe, and, and they're just off in the corner just sort of jamming and hanging out. And and whatever. And this is honestly, this is a moment, like this is the moment in the development of a youth program that you're looking for if you're developing a youth program. And they're just sort of playing guitar and they're just sort of singing. And, and I just sort of watch. Anna and I are playing um, Settlers of Catan with, with someone over on one of the tables. And we're just watching. And people are sort of down at the gym and in other parts of the room. And there's just a little group of guys just just strumming, just playing. And you just watch one person wander over and sit down in the group and just quietly begins to sing. And I'm like, holy crap, it's happening. Because what you want to see is you want to see these kids fall in love with Jesus and worship all by themselves without any initiation from adults. And I just watch this thing happening. It's like watching it in slow motion. Another kid comes along. And just sits down and starts sort of drumming on his knees. That kid can't sing, but they're just drumming on their knees. I wasn't close enough to know they can't sing, but I know that kid and I know they can't sing. <laughs> but they're worshiping. And another kid comes. And another kid comes. And Seth comes with the cello. And I'm like, Seth, just stay back a little bit, buddy. This has got to be their moment. And you see Ashley's picking up that this is going on. Ashley's like I'm gonna go over there. Like, no, Ashley, don't go over there. This is the thing we've been waiting for. She's like, what you're crazy? What's going on? I'm like Anna's like looking. I know it's happening, it's finally happening. And another kid comes over, another kid comes over, and soon they're loud enough that some kids downstairs can hear them. And they come up the stairs in a group and they gather around the circle and they're beginning to worship. And all of a sudden we're singing and we're hearing it across the room, and now I feel like I can join. Going in from the back corner of the room, hallelujah, hallelujah. They're singing and they're worshiping God. Woo! Like, that's the real deal. They knew they could worship Jesus, and no one told them to do it. That's the real deal. That's the kingdom come to those groups. And that's what happened to the disciples. Jesus has ascended and it's like we we can still worship him it's amazing and this heart for worship comes on the group it's the same thing that needs to happen to us as people same thing that needs to happen in our home churches same things that needs to happen in your living rooms Same thing that needs to happen on Sunday mornings. You know, we've had some amazing times of worship, but we have not yet as a church reached a place where we are just explosively and powerfully and unashamedly 100% sold out for Jesus in worship. That's coming. That's coming for us. Going on, Acts chapter 1, it says they were all joined together constantly in prayer with the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the brothers are all there. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering of about 120. There's 120 in the room now. And Peter says, therefore, it's necessary for us to choose one who has been with us the whole time. The Lord Jesus was among us. They were missing Judas, right? Judas was no longer there. He was their, their treasurer. This is the first church board meeting right here. Real deal, this is the first church organizational meeting. These are valuable parts of building living stones, like there's decisions that need to be made about what we do with our time and our energy and our efforts and our resources. First church building, but they gathered together to make uh, decisions. Uh, Looking ahead at Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all in one place. They are still there. They are all together. That's all they know how to do. Let's just be together. We're waiting for Jesus, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And that's what happened to our youth in that room at Camp Iowa is the Holy Spirit came in power in that place and they began to worship and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. I didn't see any tongues of fire. I was really looking hard. And we saw what had to be tongues of fire that were separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues didn't really speak in other tongues, but they sang really badly. And I'm just taking it. Like, we're just going for it. We we receive it. Uh, But that's a part of the life of the church. What do we do? What happens when we gather? We're empowered. When we gather, the Holy Spirit comes and we're empowered. Right? Like, real deal. It doesn't happen as much when we're scattered and separate. But the Holy Spirit comes when we're gathered together. And I don't know why it is, but there is just so much cool art about Pentecost when there's so much lame art about the Ascension. I just don't, I I didn't do a big broad sampling, but... Holy Spirit art is way cooler than Ascension art. I'm just saying, it's just, a, it's just a weird thing. But going on in the story, and I don't know why I have Luke 23 here again. I've just missed those headings. But uh, those who accepted his message were baptized. So immediately after Pentecost comes, they go out in the streets. Uh, they're preaching the gospel. Peter preaches this amazing sermon. Uh, 300 were added to their number at that day. Those who accepted his message were baptized. So they, like, found some water. They took them down to the Jordan. They did whatever. They baptized all these converts. Um, 3,000 were added to their number that day. So 3,000 were gathered to them that day. 3,000 became a part of them that day. Jesus is always gathering his church. He's always gathering it. 12 apostles, 120 disciples, 3,000 new converts. 3,000 divided 120 equals 25. So, okay, we got 120 of us here. Um, 3,000 new converts. Maybe if each of you could disciple 25, that would be that would be great. Guess what? You're all home church leaders. Like, real deal. Like, how, how did they do that? There was a structural issue in the life of the church that they needed to address, that somehow they figured it out. What did that look like? Looking at Acts 2 again, further on, verse 44, all the believers were together and everything... They had in common, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They went to the temple, they went to the living room, temple, living room, temple, living room, temple, living room, temple, living room, back and forth, back and forth, daily They gathered. They gathered for corporate worship in an established place of worship where Jewish people thought they ought to worship. Let's gather there. Uh, Hey, this was really great worship. We had a great time together. But we're not done. The temple's closing up for the night. Well, let's go to your place. And they went to somebody's living room and they worshiped together. Probably 25 in a house. 120 different homes, and then numbers added daily. Like, imagine, how, they, how are we going to disciple these people? We don't even know what we're doing. This is incredibly messy. This house isn't built very well yet. We haven't got this figured out. It's chaotic. It feels insane, but hey, let's do it. They gathered. They kept gathering and gathering and gathering, Acts chapter 12, when this had dawned on him, this is again the story of Peter. Now we're jumped ahead in the story. Peter has been put in prison. They're they're persecuted. They've been arrested uh, for sharing the story of Jesus, right? So what do they do when they're under trial? What do they do when they're under duress? What do they do when they're in trouble? It says in Acts, 20, or Acts 12, when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John. So Peter is free. He's like, i got to go tell everybody I'm free. Jesus takes him out of jail. Um, i got to go to the house of Mary, uh, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had been gathered praying for his release. Peter's in jail? Let's gather and pray for his release. We're in trouble? Let's gather. That's all they knew how to do. All they knew how to do was just gather, get in the same place, get in the same room, get in their lives, be living stones. Uh, Acts chapter 12. Um, and this is, the, this is amazing. This is just, this is one of our hints from the text. And again, just to unpack this, this is one of our hints from the text of the first uh, sort of pattern we see, and evidence of a pattern we see of the church meeting on Sunday mornings. I'm just going to unpack this for a second. Uh, this is Paul now. He's uh, saying, okay, I've got to, and again, it's Acts 20. My headings are, are not right. Um, but he's saying, okay, dudes, we got to go. Uh, we got to go back to Jerusalem. We got to be there for Pentecost. Let's get back and let's do it. But some strange things happened. He's expressed a sense of urgency. Uh, they sailed from Philippi after the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So they were there for that important gathering. Five days later, they joined the others at Troas, where they stayed for seven days. Why stay for seven days when you're ur- there and it's urgent? Well, on the first day of the week, they came together to break bread. He stayed until the Sunday meetings. Right? They stayed until the the first day of the week. Now remember, they would have Sabbath in that culture, and then the church would have begun to meet at that early stage on the day after Sabbath, which we now call Sunday, but it would be their first day of the work week. It'd be a work week, they'd all be at work doing their thing, but when they were free in the evenings, then okay, let's uh, get together, right? So church for them would have been Monday evening after work. We're fortunate we don't have that situation. We can do Sunday morning, and we can have kids programs. But they just got together whenever they could. And of course, because it was the Lord's day, the day of the resurrection, that's uh, why they gathered there. And that's why they gathered then, Sunday mornings. Uh, Just to unpack a little bit more of that that story, again, this is the same image. The reason that picture of the pulpit is there is because what Paul did at that time and place was he was teaching to that community on the Sunday morning. In that scenario, right? Uh, The story goes on, and this is one of the best preaching teaching stories that a preacher ever was able to tell, just to encourage you and just to let you know that it's completely okay for me to preach on quite long. This is a story uh, of him preaching in Troas on that first day of the week, it says, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking till midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where they were meeting and seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep. Anybody sinking into a deep sleep at this point in this sermon? As Paul talked on and on, and on, and on, and on, and on, and on, and on. Paul's teaching, and teaching, and teaching, and teaching, and we're all looking at the clock, and I'm thankful that clock is, uh, is okay, we're all right, We've got maybe five minutes here to go, and Paul's teaching, and teaching, and teaching, and it goes on, and Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep, as Paul talked on and on, when he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from a third-story window and was picked up dead. This is in the Bible, if you haven't read it. <laughs> Real deal. Long sermon, fall asleep, fall out of a window, picked up dead, then prayed for and resurrected. All in a day's work for the Apostle Paul. Right? That's the the scriptures. But what it shows us is that's their purpose. That was part of their purpose. That was part of why they gathered. There's stuff that the apostles know. There's stuff that people know that we don't know. We need to know what they know. So we'll let them teach us that stuff that they know. And we'll stay up all night to do it. We gather to learn together. That's part of how we become living stones. The reason that picture of that particular pulpit is there is because I want a pulpit just like that one. If anybody wants to weld one together for me and make it, I just love that. Like It's just like I-beams and rust and welded and heavy, and I just love it. Like, real deal. If anybody wants to weld that sucker together for me, that would be great. And I wouldn't have to lean over down here and my eyes are starting to get bad and I can hardly read these words on the screen over here. So if we could get it up here, that would be a huge bonus. That'd be great for me. Continuing on in Acts 2. Sorry, my headings are are missing again. I really blew the headings on this talk. Oops. Uh, This is um, looking at Hebrews 10. And again, I'm sorry about that heading. Hebrews 10. Now listen, all throughout the, the Gospels, uh, they preach, and they teach, and they tell the Jesus story, and, and the writers tell uh, what's going on. They tell about Jesus' salvation. They tell about uh, being washed. Uh, beginning of Hebrews 10, chapter 19, we'll pick up on the screen in just a second. Brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to him, with a glad and sincere heart, with the full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. He's talking about this is what Jesus has done. He's washed us. He's cleansed us. He's he's made it so that we can come into his presence. What are the instructions that follow that? Incredible uh, explanation of the freedom and the glory and the cleanseness and the washing of Jesus. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, when I shared this bit about spurs with the youth, there was these incredible blank stares. Spur one on another with love and good deeds. And I realized that this generation has not watched any westerns.
1: And doesn't know anything
0: about horses whatsoever. Right? You t- do you guys know what spurs are? Raise your hand if you know what spurs are and the Bible actually works for you in this case. Okay. That's good, right? Spurs on the, on the back of a boot of a horse just to agitate the horse enough to get it moving. Wake it up. In the old days they had brutal like metal wheel spurs and we don't, we're not unkind to animals like that uh, these days. But that's the instruction for you. Because God has washed you, because he's cleansed you, because he's building you into a spiritual house, spur one on another to love and good deeds and so at the youth uh, with the youth meeting I, I would walk up and I was walking through the crowd of youth they were all sitting there I was walking right in the chairs and I'd be like, like dude you have gifts to lead worship and you can play guitar and you can sing any songs but you could just lead people in worship that would be something really good that you could do and I jammed him right in the side with my two fingers <laughs> And I wake up like that and I walk to another spot in the room. And you, you know, you have a gift. Like you, have, you have wisdom. You have things to share. Like, but you keep to yourself all the time. You need to open your mouth. And I jammed him in the ribs. <laughs> That's what you guys have to do for one another spiritually. You've got to spur one on, and one another on to good deeds. Like, don't let somebody sit there who has gifts that you need and, and leave them, like, wasted, like doing nothing. Like, draw that out of them. Like, spur them on to love and to good deeds. Like, get in community, get together. Don't forsake meeting together. Like, you can't spur one on, on, you can't spur each other on to love and good deeds if you're not hanging with each other. Like, for real. You've got to be together. And this is what we're calling people into, isn't it? This is what you're calling your spouses that don't go to church anymore into. It's what you're inviting your loved ones into, your your siblings, your friends, people that even don't know Jesus yet. They need to come and be part of this community and be built into it as living stones, something that Jesus can build with. To just return to that image, you are like living stones built into a spiritual house. That's what this church is supposed to be. A bunch of wacky people built together in a way that can somehow contain the glory and the manifestation of the presence of God. Where does God live? He lives in the mortar, he lives between you, in the relationships, in the gatherings. In the gatherings to mourn like they did at the cross. In the gatherings to do business like they did in Acts 1. To pick new leaders. In the gatherings uh, where they met to uh, pray when Peter was in jail. In the gatherings where they met to wait. And just wait. They knew not what they were waiting for when they were waiting for the Holy Spirit. It happens in the gathering. If you're outside if you're not connected to a home church if you're not connected in relationship if you feel like you're on the outside looking in at this community just begin to inch yourself in let Jesus build you into this family it's where you'll thrive it's where you'll live take the risk we bump into each other all the time. We, we hurt each other. We have forgiveness issues. We've got to wrestle through pains and struggles and griefs and misunderstandings and miscommunications and all of our brokenness, but we can't wrestle through any of that if we're scattered and hiding out in our homes. We have to come together. Let's stand up. Lord, for anyone who's even here in this room who feels like they're on the outside looking in, like they're a living stone who's uh, maybe a little to the outside, who's stuck, who is not sure how they fit, would you just speak to them like you did to the disciples on the road to Emmaus and just turn them and orient them towards community, towards you? Any of us who are on a trajectory of brokenness that's leading us away from family, God, would you begin to call us back home? You're a shepherd. Would you just call your sheep to the center? Amen. To continue on in verse 10, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You are the people of God. We give ourselves to your purpose. Go ahead, Tim.
1: I just want to share something uh, regarding encouragement. Um, uh, Just in terms of our leaders, um, let's... uh, let's just encourage our leaders like along the way. You know, leaders are often, like, in an army, they're the first ones to take hits, right? And life happens to everyone, and it happens to our leaders, so let's, let's really encourage them. I was um, I'm just thinking, I was at this other church, and I was serving for a number of years, and then I was leaving, I, I was moving to another city, and people came up to me, and they told me all this stuff, you know, and they were crying, and they wrote a card and said all these words, and I had no idea... You know what I mean, and it was it 's just like let 's not wait till someone leaves. you know what i mean like let 's encourage as we go and I think of like I got married, and you know people came up and and uh, uh, you know my best man and everything they made speeches and they said all this awesome stuff, and it felt so good and so encouraging and then there's like funerals I went to one recently, and that's that 's another time where you hear a lot of the the good stuff you know about about people um. Let's not wait until, you know, those those big events. Let's really encourage our leaders, like, as we go. There's so many people who serve here, you know, day in, day out. And I think that's, you know, part of spurring one another on and just yeah, encouraging each other.
0: Tim, I want to encourage you. Yeah, you're gifted. <laughs> Thank you so much, Tim. That's so awesome. Right there, there like open your mouths and just encourage one another. Like get together and let encouragement flow. Like let love uh, flow in this place. It's the only way we can be built up and built together.